Greetings to all of our campuses. We are really glad that all of you are here. No matter uh, where you're at spiritually or emotionally, we believe that God is here and he wants to touch you today. He wants to pour into your life his grace and his encouragement. Before we, we jump into the message, I just want to acknowledge, um, I'm sure all of us, just how heavy our hearts are with uh, what happened in Charleston, South Carolina at the church there where uh, a nine brothers and sisters in Christ were gunned down, gunned down simply because they were black. And uh, um, I just wanted to, I wanted to lead us in a prayer because um, this is, it's just wrong. And um, we grieve for this church and for the people there and the families that have been impacted. And I just think in, it would be great for us in a uh, expression of solidarity to, to pray. Um, so would you pray with me about this? Father, we, we come to you with, our, with heavy hearts and our grief and our anger and frustration um, over this situation, what has happened, this horrible tragedy at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopalian Church in uh, Charleston. Lord, we, we lift up this church. We pray for the leadership. We pray for everyone involved there. You would pour out grace and healing and comfort. Thank you for the expression of forgiveness they have, they have publicly expressed and just amazing demonstration of the work of the cross um, in their lives. But we pray comfort for these families and we pray somehow that you would use this tragedy for good. God, we pray against hatred in our nation, against racism in our nation. We pray for your kingdom to come and that the church would lead the way in love and reconciliation. And so we just stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters there in, in the church there and uh, ask for you to pour out grace and comfort upon them and upon our nation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's continue to pray um, for, um, for that church and for our nation. So I got to shift gears here. Uh, um, so, um, but happy Happy Father's Day! It is Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the dads here. You know, one of the greatest joys in my life um, is is uh, being a dad. I mean, seriously, I had no idea the incredible blessings that God would bring into my life through my children. I am so proud of my kids, and I'm proud of being their dad. Now, I got to admit, there are a few things that I'm not proud of in terms of my parenting. I'm guessing that most all of us as parents have some boneheaded parenting moves that we um, wish we could do over. I remember one December day, our kids were playing in our hot tub. Uh, we were given by the church a hot tub, actually about... Um, uh, a number of years ago for our 15th anniversary here, and we still love it, so thank you. Um, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, but anyway, our kids were playing in their hot tub, and I had this brilliant idea. Let's take a picture of the kids in the hot tub, and it could be our Christmas card picture for that year. And now there was snow on the ground, and so I got snow, and I piled it up around all the edges. And then I had another brilliant idea. Let's put Christmas lights all around the edge of the hot tub for this picture. So I get a string of lights, and I'm, I'm getting it all set up around the edge with my kids in the water. And all of a sudden, it hit me. This is plugged into an electric outlet. This has electricity flowing through it. What are you thinking? You know, I saw in my mind the headline in the paper you know, the next day, Father Electrocutes His Children. Um, so... Or I think about another time I lost our three-year-old daughter in, in Home Depot, and they came on the intercom with the code BLUE announcement. I, I was that parent. So 
I've had my share of boneheaded parenting moves over the years. Now, it's one thing to admit those things in front of a, a crowd of, of people, but what if something like that got put into the best-selling, um, the, the most widely read bestseller book of all time? What if our parenting mistake got put in the Bible? Well, that would be really bad, um, and yet that's exactly what happens in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone, feel free to turn it, to turn it on, bring it out, whatever, and, and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're in the midst of a teaching series entitled Jesus Unexpected. In this series, we are taking a fresh look at who Jesus is. Even though Jesus is at the center of our faith, it is really easy to lose sight of him in the midst of the busyness of life. Our love for him can begin to wane. Our passion for him can begin to cool, which none of us want, right? So in this series, we're looking at the book of Luke and discovering or rediscovering who Jesus really is. Today, we find ourselves in a fascinating portion of scripture that occurs when Jesus is 12 years old. This is the only incident we have in the Bible where Jesus is a boy. He's in middle school, a Messiah in middle school. This is hard to even comprehend. I have a child in middle school. Middle school teachers are my heroes, along with firefighters who run into burning buildings. But these people work with middle schoolers every day, and they like it. I mean, that is heroic, right? I, I, I look at the volunteers in our C3 youth ministry every Wednesday, and I have such an appreciation for them. They're, they're patients. I mean, middle schoolers are they're squirrely, right? But they're awesome as well. God loves middle schoolers, and he can do really cool things in their lives, as we're going to see. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, we are told about this episode that occurs when Jesus is 12 years old. And I'd like to read the entire story, and then we'll unpack what it teaches us. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not, they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is God's word. Now, in order for us to get the most from this passage, I think it's essential that we view it from two perspectives. One is a parenting perspective, how we can grow in our parenting. And the other is a spiritual perspective, how we can grow in our relationship with God. Both are significant and both are addressed in this passage. So let's start with the parenting perspective. For those of us here who are parents or will be parents, how can we grow in our parenting? There are two essential principles we see in this passage. The first is to embrace grace. 
embrace grace. We as parents need to learn how to receive God's grace. Obviously, Mary and Joseph have an embarrassing parenting moment here. They basically lose the Son of God. Um, now, before we call social services, uh, before we call social services, let's explore this a little bit further because while it was an unfortunate parenting mistake, it is understandable how it happened. People in that day traveled in caravans, walking together this t several mile journey. It even talks about it here. They're walking as a group. The kids would be playing together. The parents would be talking together. Parents would not have an eye on their kids all the time. Like when our kids are playing with neighbor kids, we don't sit there and watch their every move. There's a certain level of trust that parents begin to develop over time. And that was certainly the case here. Mary and Joseph felt comfortable with Jesus being with friends without their every minute knowledge of where he was. So in this context of relational community, his family goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which was an eight-day long event. When the festival was over, the caravan began to return home. Now, Mary and Joseph thought Jesus was with them, even though he had actually stayed behind in Jerusalem. And they travel for a day before they realize he wasn't there. Now, I think every parent can sympathize with the panic that these parents must have felt in that moment. I'm guessing that many of us as parents have, have lost a child in a crowd, and we've experienced, even if it's just for a few seconds, we've experienced that, that de desperate panic to find your child. That's what J Joseph and Mary were experiencing for three days, if you can imagine. No cell phones, no email. They had traveled for a day, right? Realized, then they realized he was gone, so they headed back, which at, it was another day. And then they spent at least a portion of the third day looking in Jerusalem. So three days of parenting panic. And there was probably a little bit of blaming each other. I thought you were watching him. Well, I thought you were. And probably some guilt thrown in. We've just lost the Messiah. Boy, are we in trouble, right? Well, in the midst of, of their panic, God's grace shows up. They find Jesus. He's okay. Um, and I find this incredibly comforting as a parent. I mean, there is no, there is no condemnation for Mary and Joseph. Sure, they made a mistake. But God was there. In fact, he was actually orchestrating something significant out of this story. I mean, here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're talking about it. We're learning from it. We, we as parents need to realize that we have a God who is able to take our mistakes and failures and make something good come out of it. He doesn't want us living in the past tied to regret. No, he wants us to keep looking to the future, realizing that he can use even our mistakes and our failures to bring about good. He wants us as parents to embrace grace for ourselves as parents. So yeah, Mary and Joseph made a parenting faux pas, but God's grace was bigger than that. And it is for us as well. His grace is bigger than our mistakes, our missteps, our failures as parents. So that's the first parenting essential that we see here. Embrace grace for yourself as parents, okay? But there's another parenting principle in this passage, one that's easy to miss. It is easy for us to focus, and I, I have done this all the, all, all the time when I look at this passage. This is my tendency. It's easy for us to focus on the mistake that Mary and Joseph made and to overlook the parenting success of Mary and Joseph. I mean, look with me at verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. What we see here is really good parenting. 
And here's what makes their parenting so good. Not only do they embrace grace, they also embrace intentionality. They embrace intentionality. They are intentional about their children's spiritual development. See, they understand their responsibility as parents to nurture and cultivate faith in their children and to give priority to that. We we are told here that every year they went to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Now, we need to understand something here. This was not just a quick trip to church. Jerusalem was about 70 miles from Nazareth, and they didn't have cars. They didn't have minivans, right? They were walking. This would have been a several-day journey, right? Imagine packing up your little kids and walking to the Park Meadows Mall, okay? That's kind of what we're talking about here. A, you know, with, with no, no, no DVD player in the car or whatever, right? No car at all. I mean, I mean think about that as parents. A several-day journey, walking in the desert with children. We think travel's hard when our DVD player's broken in the car, right? Every year, we read here, every year they made this trip to the festival of Passover, which was was a very important week-long celebration. And remember, Passover was a celebration in remembrance of God's delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And here's what is so important to notice. They bring Jesus along with them. They don't let him sleep in. They don't let them stay home, right? They are living this life of devotion in front of their children, and they are engaging their children in it. In other words, they are very intentional about their children's spiritual development. So let me just ask all of us here who are parents, let me just ask, how intentional are we about our children's spiritual development? We are often very intentional about their athletic development. We're very intentional about their academic development. We're very intentional about their musical development, the drama development, whatever. And please hear me, all that's wonderful stuff. But here's the question I think every parent needs to wrestle with before God. Are we just as intentional about their spiritual development as we are these other things? I mean, we say we are, but are we really? Are we really? Do we give priority to their spiritual development? Are we just as concerned about their relationship with God as we are their GPA or their batting average? So what does it look like to be intentional about this? How do we do this better? You know, often we as parents feel totally inadequate in this area, right? Drop them off at church. We don't, you know, we don't know what we're supposed to do. We just, you know, how do we do this better? Um, God actually gives us this amazing parenting insight in in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives us this incredible picture of what spiritual, um, intentional parenting looks like. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, there are a couple of things, really critical things to point out here from this passage. First of all, notice the foundation. 
Notice the foundation. He gives this command, and it happens to be the most important command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then God says, this commandment is to be on your heart. See, that's where intentional parenting must begin. It is not a formula. It begins with us as parents being passionately in love with Jesus. We can't fake that. We can't fake that. Is our relationship with Jesus real to us? It is, is it the most important thing in our life? You see, if Jesus is low on our priority list, guess what our children are going to learn? That it's okay for Jesus to be low on their priority list. That's normal. I'm reading a book right now um, with a few of our staff team just about faith in the youth of America. It's called Almost Christian. Fascinating book based on tons of research. In this book, the author points out how for many, and it's about how so many youth are leaving the church when they turn 18. They're leaving their faith when they turn 18. And why is that? And what can we do about it? So that's what the book is about. The author points out that for many self-identified Christian teens, their, their faith in Jesus is not that important in their lives. It is not that real to them. Or they believe in Jesus, but it's just not a part of their everyday lives. It's not that real to them. And, and the primary reason, there may be other factors, but the primary reason, modeling. These teens are living out what they have seen modeled in their homes. A lip service faith in Jesus from their parents. But they have not seen a faith that impacts their everyday lives, a faith that is, that is that important to them on an everyday basis. Again, I'm saying there are all sorts of other factors, and I'm not trying to pour guilt on. We can, we can walk with the Lord and do all these things, and our kids still may wander from the faith. So I'm not, I'm not making a formula here. But the research is clear that one of the primary reasons when kids do walk away from the faith, it's because they're just doing what they've seen modeled at home, that Jesus just isn't that real. Their faith isn't real to their parents. Parents may go to church and talk about it, but it's not that real to them. It's not a part of their everyday life. And that's what they learn. So then they're 18, 19 years old. Why do this? It's not real to me. So this is huge. It's foundational. We as parents, he says, this must be true for you, right? We need to embrace this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's got to be real to us. Okay, so that's the foundation. Now, I love what God says next. After saying these commands are to be on our hearts as parents, he then says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Notice, notice that this is not a, a one-hour-a-week one, one formula, right? No, God wants us to realize this is the way we are to live our lives. In other words, live your faith in front of your children, Make it an everyday part of life. When your child has a rough day at school, pray with them about that. When they're having relational difficulties with someone, talk with them about how the gospel impacts their response, their ability to forgive. It's because of the cross. Their ability to pursue peacemaking because of the cross. This is a natural part. As we're doing life, we're talking about how the gospel impacts these things. Now, one of the best ways to do this as parents. And one of the things I think that, that many, many families um, lose sight of or, or fail to utilize is dinner time. Dinner time. Turn the TV off. 
Go around the table and just talk and ask everybody. You can, do, you can go around the table and just ask a question. It could be a funny question or whatever. Then it could get a little more serious. You could ask everyone to describe their day. A simple question. A highlight and a, and a low point of their day. Or you can go around and ask everyone to share an emotion that they're feeling. We sometimes, we sometimes do this as a family, and I was um, shown this acronym um, a while back, and we've used it a few times in our family. The acronym is SASHET, S-A-S-H-E-T. Each letter represents a particular emotion that would kind of span the basic, uh, you know, the, the span of emotions are contained in these six things. So sad, angry, scared, first three are negative. Happy, excited, tender. Last three are positive. So we did this as a family just the other day. We've done it a number of times. We did it again around the dinner table. All my kids were home, which was cool and more, more unusual. So we had everyone there. And, and so I had everyone share how they were feeling and why. Sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. And then after each person shares, have someone else around the table reflect back what they heard. Okay, so little Johnny says, hey, to Susan, right? So you're feeling nervous about a test tomorrow. You're kind of scared about a test you have tomorrow. And then it's really easy to, after that kind of discussion to go into prayer, just praying for each other about what was shared. Dinner time is a great time to cultivate real conversations and then to bring faith into that. Not, not forcing it in, or just to bring faith into that. Well, one thing I did as a dad, another thing I did as a dad that was to establish a regular routine where I took each of my kids out for a date. It was probably one child each week or whatever was the routine there. So a breakfast or a Starbucks run or a Dairy Queen run or whatever. I love those times with my kids. I will never forget those dates with, with my children. That They aren't as frequent now that they've grown older, but we still try to, to do one-on-one things um, fa- fairly regularly. And, and, and what a huge difference th- this can make. It doesn't have to be this intense Bible study. It doesn't. Just be with them. Listen to them. Encourage them. Ask them if they have any prayer requests and then just pray for them right there. It's, it's simple. It can be simple, just being with them. Another simple way to cultivate our, our children's spiritual development is just by being faithful in church attendance and encouraging our children to be engaged in kids' connection with C3 youth ministry. The topics that are talked about in these church contexts can become great topics for, for conversation later as you're driving home or hanging out. Every week, think about this, every week, this church provides engaging worship and teaching experiences for your whole family. I mean, what a huge impact you can have in your child's life just by going to church faithfully. Huge impact just by making church a priority. We as parents, again, have have an amazing, incredible privilege and responsibility to cultivate and encourage our child's love for Jesus. Now, just a side note here, there is no guarantee. I preached on this about a year ago, a message on parenting. There's no guarantee. I mean, we can do everything right, and our kids may choose the wrong path. So don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. If there are things that you do regret, that you did as a parent or whatever you do regret, start now. Start now. Don't live in regret, but start now. Do what you can now to build a relationship or rebuild a relationship, to connect, to pray for them and with them, to listen, to encourage them, to to model passionate faith. Okay, so that's what we learned looking at this passage from a parenting perspective. Embrace grace and embrace intentionality. 
Well, secondly, I want us to look at this passage from Jesus' perspective. What does this story tell us about our relationship with God? How can we grow in our relationship with God? Well, there are two primary principles as well that we see from the text. The first is to pursue intimacy with God. Pursue intimacy with God. See, sometimes in our spiritual growth practices, the things we do to try to grow spiritually, sometimes we can easily lose sight of the main thing. We can get so focused on spiritual disciplines or practices or whatever that we lose sight of why we're even engaging in that. Why are we going to church? Why are we memorizing scripture? Why are we studying the Bible? All that stuff. Well, Jesus, as a 12-year-old, is very clear on this point. He is definitely engaged in spiritual disciplines. We're going to see that in a minute. We're going to talk about that. But these, these practices are rooted in a key relational reality for Jesus. A reality that would have been totally unexpected, even shocking, to the people he was hanging out with those three days. Look with me at verse 49. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Notice how he refers to God. He calls God his father. Now, we need to understand something. And we hear that, oh, yeah, that's normal. No, 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 it was not normal. (laughs) We need to understand at that time, no Jew, no Jew, would have called God Father. For Jews, God's Hebrew name, Yahweh, was so holy, his covenant name in the Old Testament that God gives himself to Moses there, Yahweh, it was so holy, they wouldn't even pronounce it. They wouldn't even say it. For them, God was this holy, distant being, you know, to be revered. And and here is this 12-year-old calling this holy God Father. This is totally radical and totally essential for us in our spiritual growth. See, what Jesus wants us to understand here, he reinforces it later in his ministry, but what he, he, he got and he wants us to understand here is that spiritual growth, spiritual growth is not ultimately about religious rituals, but about relationship. It's not ultimately about spiritual, you know, about religious rituals, but a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. See, this is how Jesus wants us to know him. This is how God wants us to know him. Yeah, he is the holy God of the universe. He is awesome and powerful. He is creator, and he wants us to revere him and know all those things about him, absolutely. But he also wants us to know him as father, as our heavenly dad, a perfect parent, a father who loves us, who is with us, who will never leave us, a father who is cheering us on. Now, while Jesus could enjoy that kind of a relationship with God, because he's God's son, and he's, um, yeah, he has that relationship, born into that relationship, has this relationship, we can't, we can't automatically enjoy that relationship unless we have someone that can make it happen. In, our, in and of our own selves, we can't do that. We have to have someone help make that relationship happen. Someone who can bridge the gap between us and a holy God. And Jesus is the one who does that for us. This is so cool here, right? He died on the cross for our sins. And here's the cool irony of this situation. This conversation between Jesus and these religious leaders is happening in the temple. It took place in the temple. In the temple in that day, there was a huge curtain that separated people 
from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. So God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, right, in the temple. There was a huge, huge curtain from top to ceiling to the floor that separated people. They could not go beyond the curtain. So the Gospel of Matthew tells us that when Jesus took his last breath on the cross, dying for our sins, something absolutely incredible happened. The curtain, this curtain in the temple, this curtain that separated sinful humanity, all of us, from a holy God, that curtain, that barrier was torn in two starting from the top. God tore it in two. God removed the barrier between us and him. So because of the blood of Jesus, we, we sinners can actually enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into God's presence. We can know God as dad. We can know him as dad. Once we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can separate us from his love. He is for you. He is with you you. He lives in you. He loves you. He delights in you. That's the kind of dad he is. Now, I realize that there are many here who didn't have a dad like that in a a very significant way. I mean, no dad is perfect, but there are some of us here who have, some here who have father wounds, who have, uh, or have had dads that didn't love you well, that weren't tender or affirming or present or whatever. And th- th- those wounds often stay with us. And they get projected into our relationship with God. We, we may feel that God is distant. Our dad was kind of distant emotionally. We may feel that God is distant. That God's never happy with us. That he's disappointed. He's abusive, whatever. But, but here's the good news. God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us experience him as dad to help heal our hearts and to grow in his father-love relationship. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, verse 15, the spirit you received, when you became a Christian, you received the Holy Spirit. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. It's, you know, a little child would call their dad Abba, right? It's just, it means daddy. The spirit that lives in you wants to help you grow in your relationship with God so that you more and more experience him as the loving heavenly father that he is. We we must never lose sight, never lose sight of the ultimate goal in our spiritual growth, intimacy with our heavenly father. That's why we do these spiritual practices or whatever. It's not just to It's not to make God happy with us or whatever. It is ultimately about deepening intimacy with our Father, enjoying an intimate relationship with Him. That's the goal. We've got to be clear on that. Okay, so we're clear on the goal, but how then do we get there? How do we grow in intimacy with God? Well, well, Jesus shows us that as well here. While the goal is intimacy, the pathway is intentionality. You see, we must be intentional about our relationship with God. We must be intentional about our spiritual growth pathway. One of the things that stands out about Jesus in this passage is the fact that even at the age of 12, he is owning his faith. He is owning it. He is taking the initiative to to, to grow in his relationship with God. His parents aren't even around. No one is forcing him to go to the temple. 
I mean, his desire for intimacy with his father moved him to be intentional about growing in this relationship. He was owning his own faith. And so his desire for intimacy moved him to be intentional about it. I mean, this is how relationships work. We all know this, right? Imagine a guy meets a girl, and he's, he is smitten, right? He tells his roommates about how awesome she is. He wonders if perhaps she's the one he's going to marry. He is so happy to have met her. Now, can you imagine this guy just going on with his life and never asking her out? Never choosing to make time to be with her. Just talking, oh, yeah, yeah, she's awesome, but never making time to be with her. Of course not. We couldn't imagine that. His desire to know her moves him to be intentional about spending time with her. Now, now we know this is how it works in other relationships, but do we not realize this is how it works in our relationship with God as well? To grow in intimacy with God requires us to make time for him, to be with him. See, that's what's happening here in this passage. When Mary and Joseph find Jesus, he is, we're told, in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. See, he is giving priority to his spiritual development. He's owning it. He's learning from these teachers. He's asking questions. He's engaging in scripture. That's what they're talking about, the Old Testament. I mean, being at the temple for three days, I'm sure he was also engaging in prayer. I mean, here is this 12-year-old being intentional about his spiritual development. And let's, let's not miss the implications of this for us. If Jesus needed teaching, if Jesus made time for prayer and engagement in the scriptures, wouldn't we need that as well? I mean, if Jesus needed it, wouldn't we need it as well? For us, the huge point of application here is that spiritual growth, our spiritual growth, does not happen automatically. It isn't just going to happen. It requires intentionality where we own our faith. We own our spiritual growth for ourselves, right? It requires intentionality. Some of the things, just what Jesus was doing, making time to receive instruction via worship services or other vehicles or being taught the word. We need that regularly. And, and just spending time alone in God's word. And there are all sorts of ways to do this. You know, I would recommend you, you, you check out, if you would like to do it using technology, check out the version phone app. It's Y-O-U version. You can do a search on your um, app, uh, whatever the app page, and you can, you can find that on Android or, or Apple. But it's a really cool Bible reading thing where it has Bible reading plans. It has devotional plans. You can customize it, all this stuff. Highly recommend it, and it's free. You version, you can check it out. But that's just one way. The key is how are we engaging in the Bible? How are we engaging in God's Word? And it also includes making time just to spend with God in prayer. I mean, if we don't, I mean, and we, yeah, yeah, I know all that. But here's the deal. If we don't carve out time for these things, they won't happen. Can we all agree with that? They don't just happen. Oh, I have 15 minutes free. I'm just going to do this. It, it doesn't, our, our lives don't work that way, <laughs> Right? Rarely do important things in our lives happen, just, just happening. We schedule them in. We give them priority. We make time for these things. And again, we've got to own it. No one else is ultimately responsible for your spiritual growth and my spiritual growth. We are responsible for our own spiritual growth. We need to own it. No one else can make us do this. We, we have to own it. 
this is true for all of us, in, 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 including you young people here. I don't want you to miss the fact, young people, just hang with me here for a moment. I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus is 12 years old when this happens. He is 12. Young people, you are not too young to start establishing a time alone with God. You're not too young to start owning your faith, owning your spiritual growth. It's not your parents, all that stuff. It's, it's not, you're not too young to own it for yourself. Start spending time with him now. Get to know him now. He wants to meet with you. He wants to speak to you. I still remember this. I was about that age, 12, and God began drawing me to himself. I remember getting up early and sitting in our kitchen by the heater, you know, and, and uh, I would listen to this radio program, Song Time with John DeBrine, I think was the guy's name. I don't, maybe he's still alive. I have no idea. But I would listen to that. I'd have my Bible just for a few minutes. But I remember God, what was happening. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm just saying that's when God began to draw me. I was like 12 years old. He began to draw me into this relationship with him. You're not, you're, you're not too young. Young people here, you're not too young for that. Teenagers, you know, I, I realize it's easy for you to look around high schoolers. And all, it's easy to look around at your peers and maybe middle schoolers. Too. You look around at your peers and you see very little hunger for God, right? I mean, don't let that be your spiritual standard. Don't let that be your spiritual standard. If you want the kind of relationship with God that the other people around you have, do what they do. But if you want something special with God, if you want an intimate, real, passionate love relationship with him, let Jesus be your example, not your friends. Not the other people's goal. Let Jesus be your example. Be a young person who is passionately in love with him, who is growing to know him and longs to serve him. Don't let the world around you squeeze out that desire because God wants to meet with you and fill you with his spirit and ignite in you a passion to change the world and to cultivate in your heart an intimacy with him. This passage in Luke 2 is an invitation to all of us here, no matter what our age, all of us here, it's an invitation into a deepening love relationship with God. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. The key is to be intentional about your relationship with him, to be intentional about your spiritual growth. So what does that look like for you? Maybe it's reducing your video game time or your computer time, internet time, or your TV time and increasing your time in prayer or in the word. Maybe it's making a renewed commitment just to give priority to, to church and faithfulness and church attendance. Maybe it's a, a renewed commitment to a Sabbath, one day out of seven, where it's, it's, it's just you're, you're, you're resting and you're enjoying the Lord and you're carving out time just to be with Him in, in a, a, a way that feeds your soul. Again, this relationship won't grow automatically. It requires each of us to take ownership and say, this is a priority. Starting today, this is a priority. My relationship with God is a priority. I want to pursue intimacy with him, and I am willing to carve out time for that to happen. I'm willing to do what it takes to make this relationship a priority. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. <coughs> Holy Spirit, thank you for your word and, and how you speak to us from your word. The passage, maybe we've read dozens of times, but Lord, how you want to speak to us. Lord, I want to pray first of all, I just want to pray for parents here. Man, parenting is so hard. 
and, and it's so easy to get discouraged and all that. I just pray, first of all, I pray grace upon every parent here that we would embrace grace. We would not live in regret. We would embrace your grace, realizing that you are at work. You are sovereign, and we thank you for that. And I pray also for us as parents, we would embrace intentionality about our children's spiritual growth. We would start now where we are, and you would give us wisdom to know what that looks like, even if it's just turning the TV off at dinner time and starting conversations, asking each other how we're feeling, using the acronym, whatever it is. It's getting them to church and talking about what they're learning, whatever it happens to be, Lord, having a date with them, whatever it is, Lord, I pray for intentionality. And we as parents would own this as, as a responsibility we're together to carry. It's not just the church's responsibility, church supplements. It is, it is ultimately our responsibility as parents to cultivate this environment. And so give us wisdom. Wisdom, no, no guilt, no condemnation here, just wisdom, Lord. We pray you'd help us. And I pray, first of all, I forgot to pray about this, the foundation. I pray that our, our faith in you would be real. For every parent here, our love for you would be real so that what our, our children are seeing is authentic. It's just, it's just where we're at. It's our relationship, reflective of our love for you. And so I just pray for that to be poured out among parents here. Thank you, Lord. Grace and wisdom upon parents. Another invitation, again, you can just keep your head bowed, your eyes closed for a moment, but, but another invitation here, I, I, there are some of you, and I, this, the idea of the curtain being torn, that's a really important thing. See, what that means is, apart from Jesus, we're separated from God. There is no way through that curtain by going to church, being a good person, trying to be nice to people, giving money or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. There is a, there is a barrier there because of our sin. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he tore that into, meaning our access into a relationship with God is through Jesus alone. That's the only way. And I believe there may be some of you here, and you've been depending on your own effort to get past that curtain. Oh, I'll just be a good person. All these things, you can list the good deeds and all that. It's not going to work. You need Jesus. You need him to forgive your sin so you can enter into a relationship with God, an intimate love relationship. He can change you in that relationship. So if that's you tonight, I believe there are some of you here and you're thinking, I don't know if I have that. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can experience Jesus in this way and enter into a relationship with God where you can call him dad. Pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge there is a barrier between us. You are holy and I'm not. And I don't, but I don't want to be separated from you. I want in to your family. I went into a relationship with you. Even though I couldn't get through the curtain on my own, you tore the barrier down by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. You paid the penalty for my sin. Amazing. And I'm so grateful. I choose right now, Jesus, I choose to place my trust in you alone. I place my faith in you, not in my work, but in your work on the cross. I receive you now, I pray that you would forgive my sin, all of it, past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet. You would forgive them all, and you would come live in me through the presence of your Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Abba, my Daddy. So 
Lord, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this relationship with you. Help them grow in this relationship. I pray they tell someone, let someone know the decision they made. And Lord, I want to pray for, I want to pray for all of us here that we would grow in our pursuit of intimacy with you. We would grow in our experience of you as Father. You would bring healing to places in our hearts where maybe there are wounds there. We pray you'd bring healing and wholeness through your love and your grace, and we would grow in our intimacy with you. And I want to just pray for all of us here that we would own our spiritual growth. We would own it. That we would be intentional, whatever that means. I pray you'd show us, Lord, if we've lost, if we just got out of the habit of, of maybe church attendance, pray that you'd restore that. And we'd be committed to that, Lord. If maybe it's just spending time with you and we kind of got out of the habit of that, or maybe we've never started that, I just pray you'd help us grow in prayer and our intimacy in you our relationship with you, Lord, that we would own our spiritual growth. All of us here, no matter what our age, we would own this. Now I want to do something else here. We're not done with the prayer time yet, but I want to do something else here that's been on my heart all week long as I've been praying about the service. Um, so I'm going to have all of us stand initially. All of us stand. We're going to continue our prayer time, but I want all of us to stand, if you would, at all of our campuses. Go ahead and stand. Now, here's what I want us to do. <clears throat> if you are middle school or high school age, we're not going to embarrass you. There may be a little, but I'm not going to make you say anything or do anything other than I want you just to sit down in your seat. Middle school, high school, just sit down in your seat, okay, if you're that age. Okay, here's what's been on my heart. I want us as a church to pray for these kids. And in the light of what we've been talking about. So what I want you to do, if you see a middle schooler or high school around you, just move their direction. Let's gather around these young people. Make sure every child that's seated has a group of people around them. And, and I'm gonna, I wanna, what I want to do is we're going to join our prayers. You can pray silently over them. But I'm going to be praying loudly over them, okay? And we're going to agree together. We're going to agree together for God to pour out his spirit on these young people, okay? So every young person has someone around them, has people around them. Awesome. Let's pray. Again, you can pray out loud if you want, but I'm going to pray and let's just agree. Let's, let's join our prayers now. So Lord, we lift up these young people. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for these middle schoolers, these high schoolers. Thank you for the work you're doing in them. You are calling them to yourself. You are calling them to, to be different in terms of their intimacy with you, God, and their love for you. So we pray for that. We pray you would pour out a passion for you. You would be drawing them to yourself. You would be drawing them to yourself, Lord. If they haven't said yes to you, Jesus, we pray that would happen and that they would grow in their relationship with you, Lord. You would be drawing them. They would learn to hear your voice your loving voice. They would, I pray for healing in their hearts. They would know your love and you would be breaking down any barriers of fear and insecurity. You would break those down and that they would, you would gently break them down and you would bring your love into their hearts. Fill their hearts with your love. May they know that they are your sons and daughters and nothing can change that. I pray they would know your love that surpasses knowledge. You would fill them with that. 
We pray you would fill them with a hunger and a thirst to know you and to grow in their relationship with you, that they would be a light for you, that they would be a light among their friends and their schools of not weirdness. They would just be a light of, of joy and of, of what it means just to have a, a love relationship with you. And so I pray that would be attractive and, and it would draw people. And I pray, Lord, you would, you would, for those who are in the midst of discouragement, I pray you'd lift their discouragement and you would fill them with encouragement that you have a call in their life. You have a plan for them. For those who are, who are contemplating ending their lives, Lord, we, dry, we cut off the work of the enemy now in the name of Jesus, the lies of the enemy, that somehow that's, that's a, a, a good way out. It is not. And we speak life. Lord, we pray life upon them and your encouragement. They would know how much you love them. So Holy Spirit, now we are agreeing together. Fill them up. Fill them up with everything they need, most of all with your love, your love and your power, God, for healing. Any area they need healing, we pray for that right now. Just touch them physically, emotionally. Just bring healing and life to them. Thank you for them and the value they have to us and to you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege of praying for them. Amen. Okay, amen. Why don't we all stand? Thanks, kids, for letting us do that. Why don't we all stand as the worship team leads us? Yeah, go back to your seats, and let's let the worship team lead us. Jesus, thank you for what an awesome Savior you are and the opportunity now to express our love for you through worship. We love you, God. You are awesome. Set us free to worship you now.